This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. With me in studio today, I have David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. Welcome, David. Hi, Susan. Very glad to be here. Glad to have you. This is a, a topic that I think is going to be extremely important and yet a, a difficult topic, and that is the lethal combination that we're seeing certainly here in Atlanta, but across America, and that's the combination of heroin and fentanyl. Uh, these two drugs are showing up together, and we're going to talk uh, a little bit about how some of this has happened and to discuss some of the potential ways in which we can begin to get a handle on this and try and help people um, not continue to die from this. So, serious topic. Uh, many of you may be sitting in traffic right now waiting for uh, <laughs> a way to get home because here in Atlanta this week is the National Prescription Drug Abuse and Heroin Abuse Summit. This is the um, fifth summit that has been held here in Atlanta. This is the first year that they've add, added heroin to the name of the summit. And last week, there was an unexpected uh, announcement to the lineup of the speakers for today, Tuesday, and that was uh, President Obama. He made a last-minute announcement that he was going to be here and that he was going to address um, the summit and talk about the um, White House policies on prevention of drug abuse and help support uh, the um, the movement that we're seeing across the country led by groups like Shatterproof and other organizations to try and highlight the seriousness of the prescription drug abuse problem and the unintended consequences that we're seeing, which is the heroin epidemic. So it's um, been very interesting to be in Atlanta, to have this happening here, and certainly um, going to tie up traffic for most of the day. But um, I hope that many people do become much more aware because of this, of the problem that we're having, and um, the problem that we're that we're seeing across the country. One of the um, one of the things that I think this leads us to uh, this comes on the tail of the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control guidelines that were published a couple of weeks ago, that are not binding guidelines, of course, but suggestions to primary care doctors around proper prescribing of opioid pain medication and certainly encouraging them to consider using many alternatives and to um, add a number of things to their practice. So all of this being said, um, and before we get into a lot of the details, um, we know that more than 40 people die every day from overdoses involving prescription drugs. This is um, a huge number of people, and unfortunately, David, I think um, we're certainly aware of the fact that many of these are young adults. This is certainly um, a high death rate cutting the lives short 40, 50 years. Uh, that's a huge loss. Incredible. And it's 
been shocking to watch. You know, it jumped up so quickly, and and we were noticing it jumping really quickly in 2010. Um, and and since we've always been been with programs that either did extensive drug testing or in our program do ex- extensive drug testing, we were noticing early on that there was fentanyl in, in the mix. Yes. Um, and it's something that, that we've been talking about for, for quite a while, that fentanyl is in the, in the mix, um, and, and that people are overdosing and dying at a much more alarming rate, probably because fentanyl is in the mix. Um, but it's not something that's really made it to the natural pr- national press, or, or certainly not into the drug summit, until um, really this year. That's correct, and you're you're right because of the work that we do, and because of the um, type of drug testing that we do. Because we we work some with professionals, and they are required by their licensing board to have specific levels of drug testing to make sure that they're safe to uh, continue pr- practice their profession. Uh, we've uh, we've had fentanyl available as part of our regular drug screen, and it is not shown on most drug screens. I think it's really an important thing to understand around drug testing. Most people don't get it. They don't understand what, why, and when to drug test, and they're possibly missing that a lot of the overdose deaths that we've been seeing over the number of the years probably were including fentanyl but because they weren't really testing for that. And unless it became a medical examiner's case, they weren't necessarily going to even understand that fentanyl was part of the mixture that overdosed and killed somebody. Right. I think so many people just assume that when they do a five-panel drug screen and they're looking at opiates and amphetamines and marijuana and um benzodiazepines and one other one that I'm not coming to, you just assume that fentanyl is an opiate and it's going to show up in the screen. Um, And and so you're not necessarily thinking you've got to test specifically for that. Um, But part of what's been interesting in our practice and watching these screens over the years is that there will be a lot of times where we've noticed fentanyl will show up with people who just do marijuana or it will show up with people who are just doing cocaine and they'll be really surprised that there's fentanyl in their drug screen. And and the the article that was in the Atlanta Journal and Constitution talked about how they're doing raids in places and they're finding stashes of 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 fentanyl without the heroin. That that drug dealers are out there with with fentanyl and they're doing it either all by itself or mixing it into other things, which we've been seeing now for a while. It's, um, it is very interesting because uh, patients will say, well, I've just admitted to you I'm using cocaine. I've just admitted to you that I'm using methamphetamine. Why would I not tell you I was using fentanyl? I'm not using fentanyl. They are not aware of it either. And um, I think that it would probably be important to back up a little bit and talk about what fentanyl is. Fentanyl is a, um, an opiate, like you said, used as pain reliever known most um, uh, regularly for being used in surgery. So if you're going to have a major surgery, uh, they will give you fentanyl during the surgery and sometimes immediately after as a pain reliever. It's a 100 times the strength of morphine. 
Morphine is our gold standard to which we measure the strength of all the different types of opiates, and we talk about morphine equivalents. In fact, the CDC guidelines refers to morphine equivalents in terms of uh, at this level, you need to be very, very cautious and concerned that you are prescribing too high a dose of medicine. So fentanyl um, is traditionally used by injection or by IV, usually, during surgery. It's a liquid. Uh, a number of years ago, fentanyl was then placed in a patch. So some of some folks may be familiar with a fentanyl patch that uh, you put on your skin and you leave there for three days, and it gives a constant release of this very extremely potent pain reliever. This type of pain medication was generally reserved for end-stage cancer or people who were dying in a hospice kind of situation where taking pills by mouth or even by injection was just causing increased pain or they weren't able to do it. So the fentanyl became available that way. Even more recently, we had the fentanyl lollipop, as they called it, which is a little rubber spongy-like applicator that had the, the liquid fentanyl in it. And again, end-stage cancer patients uh, were able to put this inside their mouth and through the mucous membranes in their cheek. Uh, this type of tissue could absorb the fentanyl really quickly to give an immediate relief of pain. So it was traditionally a liquid or liquid-like form, and it was usually used only for patients who had been exposed to opiates before and now needed such high potency, such big, strong doses, um, and needed to be able to take it in a way that didn't necessarily have to involve swallowing or digesting through the stomach or even through injection. So... This whole process of making fentanyl more mainstream um, and part of pain management started, oh, within probably the last 10 years or so. But what has happened now is that the Mexican drug cartel has learned how to make fentanyl in a powdered form. And their ability to produce this powder in a way that is much less expensive than heroin. And if you compare the price points of looking at what a prescription pain medication would sell for on the street at a dollar a milligram, comparatively, heroin is much less expensive. Used to be fentanyl was extremely expensive because it was rare and hard to get. Now, the powdered fentanyl that the uh, Mexican drug cartels have been able to manufacture is less expensive. It's even less expensive than the heroin that they're growing in South and Central America. And so now we are seeing them adding this to the opioid, the heroin that they're giving, or to the other drugs so that the patients will get a more intense high and be more rapidly dependent on this substance. It's kind of scary. Well, and, and so it sounds like they're also um, utilizing it in a way that it's getting directly into the bloodstream much, much faster than it would have before. Um, and, and 
they're thinking that real often they're thinking that they're getting heroin and they're using it just like they would their regular heroin. Um, and, and as you said, it's much, much more intense than, than heroin. And the onset of action is much quicker. When we talk about ways in which uh, we can do some things in our community to help prevent some of these overdose deaths and to be more aware, we certainly will talk about the rescue drug naltrexone. Well, we will talk about that um, in more detail. Uh, a little bit later, but one of the difficulties that we're having now with these overdoses is that heroin takes a period of time. It's not long, but there's a little slower onset of the action of heroin, certainly compared to fentanyl, which happens in milliseconds. And so suddenly now you have a person who gets hit with this very potent opioid that is now suppressing their respiratory system. They stop breathing. That's how you die from a heroin overdose is that you're, you just stop breathing. You go from 15, 20 breaths per minute, which is pretty normal for most people, mm-hmm. down to one or two or three breaths per minute, and eventually you stop breathing. And that is because of the direct effect in your brain of opioids. With fentanyl, it happens immediately. So when you're in surgery, you've got a tube down your throat, and the anesthesiologist is monitoring the ventilator that is breathing for you. So they can give you this very powerful drug by IV because they want a quick onset of action because they got to get this surgery going. So immediate onset of action now makes it very difficult and increasingly difficult to be able to reverse an overdose because these folks get pretty far gone pretty fast because of the additive of this drug. Heroin, yes, overdoses come fast, but with fentanyl, people can be dead in seconds. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's happening with fentanyl and heroin. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, 
You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and I have in studio with me today David Donaldson, who's the CEO and Clinical Director of the Atlanta Healing Center. So glad you're here, David, because I know you've gotten, unfortunately, a lot of experience dealing with young adults and older adults who have become involved with uh, heroin and now, of course, our concern of the introduction of the bigger, stronger brother, cousin, uncle, daddy, um, which is fentanyl that um, puts it in a whole nother league. I, I'm very glad to be here. It's, um, it's an important topic and it's an important population to be dealing with. Um, once upon a time in treatment, we would rarely see uh, the young people at, at an outpatient level. We would have maybe one or two in a group of uh-huh. 20 and, and um, you know, it was kind of any more than two and you'd be like dreading it because that was going to totally change the dynamics of the group and and the focus would be alcoholism would be um um dealing with grown-up adult issues and and now the the population we're seeing is um 18 19 20 year old people who are addicted as fully as anyone we've ever worked with any 50 year old we've ever worked with to a drug that's that's potentially going to kill them um, much, much faster. I, I remember talking to a young lady who had, had come back from um, a funeral, and what she was talking about was that the, the person who had died wasn't anywhere close to being an addict yet. They were still in that experimental stage of using, but they experimented with a drug that, that killed them. And I think that um, there are some very um, important statistics that tell us that Eighty percent of young adults um, who come in for treatment uh, start using prescription drugs before they go to heroin, and then they go on to heroin. So there is a process for most people. What what worries me about that statistics, though, honestly, is the fact that twenty percent use heroin directly, which is a whole nother topic for a whole nother show, but. The idea that uh, that this drug is um, very um, attractive these days. Back in the early days of my working with folks in addiction, by the time someone was using heroin, it was a pretty end-stage disease. There weren't that many people. It was hard to get. It was expensive. It was very dangerous. And most people didn't live very long that were addicted to heroin. So it wasn't the, the drug that we 
got a lot of training on or a lot of information about. Yeah, it was definitely not a drug that we would see showing up in in an outpatient program. And if somebody did show up with um, an addiction to opiates, they they would um, they would be told, you know, you're not going to die. It's not a it's not a deadly withdrawal. So hang on, and you can come to our outpatient program in three days. And they would never show up for the outpatient program in three days. Right. Because, you know, our assumption was they just didn't really need it. But um, Rather than the fact that they couldn't stay sober for, for three, three days. days. And they would be back to using. Right. Um, but it's just speaking really to the change that this population is even seeing heroin. You know, once upon a time, for a 20-year-old to have been in a circumstance where they would have seen heroin mm-hmm. was just unheard of. And now it's it's all over the place. Um, and part of what we were talking about is why are these people turning to opiates in particular and, and then on into heroin? And, and it's been a pretty classic pattern in mm-hmm. what we're seeing that, that you know, young adult at a time in their life when they're learning to date and they're dealing with um, the stresses of college and the stresses of relationship will take an opiate because their roommate says, hey, I got this and you'll like it. Um, and they discovered that not only does it make them feel good, but it takes away all that emotional pain. Mm-hmm. We hear ta- here talking about this as a painkiller, but we don't necessarily think about the pain that we're talking about. And it takes all- away all that emotional pain of growing up, and they're able to just, you know, go deal with deal with the dating scene, deal with the college scene, deal with all of those the struggles of that time um, without having to feel it. And not having any pain. I think the other entryway, and uh, parents need to be paying particularly close attention to this one, um, is exposure to opiates when young people have an injury, when they have to have surgery, often sports-related injuries, or when they have their wisdom teeth out that they get exposed to the opiates not because they're looking to get high but because they're having a pain situation and it may be worth a very long discussion with the dentist or the orthopedic surgeon or other professionals about alternatives and that is one thing that I can speak to the CDC guidelines is that there are a number of very good and potent but non-addictive options to manage pain. Uh, Keterolac or Toradol is a very good post-op pain medication, and it can be given by an injection and then by mouth afterwards, and can handle moderate to severe pain. And that is, uh, it's at time limited because of some side effect problems if you take it for a long time, but there may be a lot better ways for young people in particular all of us probably in general, but young people in particular to avoid this inadvertent, albeit necessary potentially, exposure to opiates. Um, So they have an injury. The doctor writes them. They way too many, way too many um, hydrocodone tablets or oxycodone tablets. And the next thing you know, the person has discovered that wow, this helped a whole lot more <laughs> than just my pain. I feel 
Hi, I feel buzzed. I feel invincible. I like this feeling a lot. And I'm going to start looking really long and hard for how I can get this drug. How to get more of it. And, you know, it's it's listed under so many different names. Right. Um, so you don't necessarily know what you're taking, except you know that, that it's in the medicine cabinet. Um, and it's often thought of as not really being anything more than a Tylenol or, or an aspirin. Um, and it's being just given out for a headache or for a toothache, when in reality this is a very, very powerful substance that is impacting the way your brain functions. Um, so I think that there's a third way in which um, young people also get exposed. And you mentioned that um, in passing, but it, it really is, it does have to do with the prescription, with the medicine cabinet. That most people think that their adolescent, their teen, their young adult is being given drugs by some shady drug dealer at the end of the school playground who's peddling drugs, not real, really realizing the idea that they are actually harvesting these medications these prescription drugs from the family medicine cabinet and having these medications stored safely and then disposed of when they're no longer needed is one thing and we're jumping the gun a little bit but it's one way in which everybody in the community can work to help minimize exposure to these substances because the majority of young people are getting them at home or from grandma's medicine cabinet or the neighbor's medicine cabinet. They are not at least initially buying them. Most young people are not getting them through prescription. They're getting them at home from the medicine cabinet. Well, and they're also thinking that it's really not that big a deal because grandma takes it and she's fine. She's not hurting anybody and it's not, not causing any problems. So what's, what's the big deal with it? So they're getting a message that these are not that, that major an issue to worry about. And it's always interesting to me to ask the question, so when did you know that you were in trouble? When did you first feel that experience of withdrawal? And, and, their, their faces will light up when you ask about your first exposure to it and in terms of the brightness of I got all this energy and I was so happy and felt great. But their face will also shift when they first were, were sick with withdrawal and um, not knowing necessarily why they felt so bad. And then somebody saying, dude, you're in withdrawal. And, and the awareness mm-hmm. that they'll, they'll, they can talk about I'm – became an addict and I was hooked and it would be a really short period of time it would be a a two-month period of time from stealing them out of grandma's medicine cabinet to I've got to go find somebody to get these because I'm in trouble and you've made another really important point David which is their experience with the drug Now, not everybody who takes a pain medicine, not everybody who takes a sleep medicine, not everybody who drinks alcohol is going to become addicted to it. Um, With opioids, though, 
First of all, if you have a paradoxical reaction, and by that I mean a reaction other than what we would have expected, because opiates or opioid pain medications are central nervous system depressants by nature, Most people, when they take them, find that they feel sleepy or drowsy. They feel, if not no feeling, they they will actually describe feeling depressed. When people have the gene that makes them vulnerable to the disease of addiction, they often have a different response to the opioids. First of all, they will have this euphoria. They feel great. They have energy. They feel like they can handle anything. They feel happy. This is the greatest thing that has ever happened to yeah, them. Their face lights up immediately. Absolutely. It goes into a full bright smile when you ask them about their first exposure. And so that should be a, a little red flag of warning to, well, maybe a big flag of warning to anybody. If you're having this paradoxical experience with the opiates or any drug, you may want to be really, really careful that you may be vulnerable. But in the other piece is that that people get physical reactions to it that the addict, they still get, but it doesn't matter. Right. They don't mind. They don't care. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the step from prescription drugs to heroin. Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. 
If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is Detailing Addiction. I have with me today David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. And it may seem strange that we ta- we started out talking about the epidemic of heroin and fentanyl and the danger and the death rate, and then we moved back to prescription drugs. And we're talking about the National Prescription Drug and Heroin Summit that's being held here in Atlanta the, all of this week. So what is that link between the young person either getting exposed to prescription drugs because a friend says, here, try this, or their dentist says, here, try this because I just pulled your teeth, or they find it in the medicine cabinet because they read online or heard on a bulletin board that this would be a good drug and they can look it up on their phone and make sure what drug and what milligram and they get this first exposure um, to the prescription drugs, um, particularly the opioids. But we have to be sure to include that there are other prescription drugs that young people are also abusing. Uh, We're focusing today on the opiates or the pain uh, relievers, but certainly they're misusing their ADHD medicine, their Adderall, their Vyvanse, their Ritalin, their Concerta. There's a street value for these drugs. These are drugs that that kids are misusing and um, are abusing. They are really fond of the benzodiazepines, things like Xanax and Clonopin, Ativan, the sedative hypnotics is the class that we call those drugs, and they like things like Ambien as well. They're also misusing prescription and over-the-counter cough medications, and those will be some discussions for another day. So it's not just the opiates that they are getting out of the medicine cabinet. It's not just the opiates that they're getting from their doctor. It's not just the opiates that they're getting from their buddy and their friend down the street. But um, all of these substances um, can be found in many households in the medicine cabinet and can be misused by young people. Well, and I also think that with the shift in the the perception of marijuana, that marijuana is much, much more prevalent. And the people they're buying marijuana from are just their regular buddies at school. And, and so there's not anything seedy about going to the dealer to get marijuana. So they're already kind of getting into that culture of, hey, you just go where you need to go to buy what you want. And, and they're learning in that area the mm-hmm. things they need to say to get what they want. So exactly. they know exactly what they say when they go to the doctor to get Adderall. And they know exactly what they say when they show up in the ER to get pain medications. Um, they, they know that they have to describe pain at a certain level. And at, once they cross that level, the doctor has to give them something. They know when they said this level, this list of symptoms, they're going to walk out of there with a script for Adderall. And the, with Adderall, Adderall in particular, that script's going to just keep coming. You know, they might they might have to keep going back for the opiates, but the Adderall is just going to keep keep coming for them. Um, because they're in school. Because they're in school. 
And so they've got to go pick up their written prescription every every month from their pediatrician or their family practice doc. Rarely is it an adolescent psychiatrist, but they have to keep going back. And no one questions their need to keep taking that particular medication because, of course, you do. You're, you've got ADD. Yeah. Um, so it used to be that we would talk about that switch from opiates to hero or from pills to heroin um just in the last couple years it they would be hooked on the pills they'd be going to their dealer and one day the dealer would say dude i'm sorry i don't have any of those but hey i've got some heroin why don't you try that and they just cross right over and switch to heroin that was a really classic story and still is one that you hear Mm -hmm. but you're also now hearing about people who are just at a party and there are people over here drinking, and there's people over here smoking marijuana, and there's people over there doing heroin, and they will do heroin, as you were saying, mm-hmm. 20% as their first exposure. To an opiate. Something we never would hear of never before. Never would hear of before. That, again, would be an end stage. So the, the, the progression is that we are seeing the young people exposed to opiates through whatever way they get exposed. You mentioned that, yes, these medications, whether you have addiction or not, if you take opioids for a long enough period of time, you're going to become physically dependent on that, meaning you're going to have a very unpleasant, very unpleasant withdrawal if you stop them suddenly or if you um, decrease the amount. And so as the individual's body becomes adapted to taking a certain amount of these medications, they begin to need more and more to get the same effect and more and more to keep from being sick. The price tag for this goes up exponentially as Again, the unintended consequence of trying to educate doctors and trying to institute some of the things that we'll talk in the last um, uh, segment about have decreased the availability of these prescription drugs. So they're not as readily available. And more and more doctors are becoming hesitant or writing smaller prescriptions or even refusing to write them at all. So we're seeing young people who are now physiologically dependent on these drugs not either being able to find them or afford them, and their dealer making that comment that you <laughs> uh, re- just said, which is, well, I don't here. I any of that, but I got some heroin. I got some heroin, and it's less expensive, less and less expensive. And that has evolved over the years as we've seen a change in where the heroin comes from. Not so much are we getting the heroin from the Middle East like um, classically we've gotten heroin. Now the Mexican drug cartel and in Central and South America, they are growing heroin poppies and they are manufacturing heroin and bringing it into the country which means the price is less doesn't have to go across multiple borders and countries and continents and oceans and um and still get into the united states it's a quick skip up uh Uh, a few major highways and um, certainly having the largest airport in the world or the busiest airport in the world, we are really vulnerable Mm -hmm. here in Atlanta to being um, a central point for distribution of 
the hair one. But and and part of it, since it's become coming here and it's so readily available, it's coming to people from people they know. So there's no trust issue. Um, a lot of kids will talk about how I never wanted to try it because I would never want to do needles. And their friends would help them over that barrier. They'd be like, well, you don't have to watch, and I'll just I'll take care of it for you. And the first several times they use, they won't actually be shooting themselves up. Um, and so they're able to walk through that barrier because the trust of the person is, is already there. Mm-hmm. It's not like they were having to go to some part of town and get it from somebody they would not have any trusting relationship with. And we're seeing this, again, not in the... Um, urban areas any more at least than we're seeing it in the suburbs in the um, areas of Atlanta in the more rural areas of Georgia and certainly around the country this is the case that it is not an urban problem it is not a problem of um, individuals who don't have means or education it crosses all of those barriers and we're seeing young people from good families good homes um, that are now being exposed and the stigma is not nearly like it used to be our young people are pretty cavalier about the use of heroin they're very cavalier about the number of people they know that are using it they're not cavalier about their friends that they know that have died from overdoses from it. That That is uh, very painful for them. But unfortunately, it doesn't scare them away. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop them from continuing. And part of that is the disease of addiction. And part of that is the problem of withdrawal. But now we've added this new layer with the fentanyl, which makes the drug m- even more highly addictive makes the drug even more rapidly effective and makes the drug entirely a lot more lethal. Well, and I, th- I think that it's it's changing the norm. Yes, so that, definitely. That young people are much more aware of people who have died this way and and people who are using and people who are just you know, moving on into fentanyl. Whereas when I think even of just when I was growing up, that I didn't know a single person who died because of a drug overdose before I was 23, 24, definitely not in my teens. And and nowadays, if you're talking to a high school senior, they know people who have died from heroin overdose. In fact, there was an article about um, March 3rd, Atlanta police officers entered an upscale uh, Highland apartment along the Atlanta Beltway, and in the bathtub they found the dead body of a 34-year-old male. They also discovered $215,000 in cash. They found 30 grams of Adderall and hydrocodone, two pounds of Xanax. Um, These are some of the other (laughs) drugs that we've been talking about, uh, prescription drugs that patients or that that people will misuse, and OxyContin. And they found four pounds of fentanyl. This amount of fentanyl could overdose thousands of people and probably kill hundreds of it. Four pounds of fentanyl is an unbelievable amount. And this was found just in one apartment, 
where someone happened to have overdosed and died. Well, and part of what was so alarming about that was they did not find heroin. Right. This was one of those stories of finding fentanyl where it's not Only. being mixed with heroin. And as you were saying earlier, David, we're seeing this now being mixed in other drugs, and we're seeing patients that are coming off a methamphetamine run or a cocaine run where they expect that their withdrawal is going to be they're going to sleep for a few days, wake up, and want to eat a lot of food. These folks are waking up in opiate withdrawal because now they're becoming physiologically dependent on an opioid. They had no intention and no understanding they were taking. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what are some things that you can do to help protect our community from the prescription drug heroin and fentanyl epidemic. We'll be right back. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is Dr. George. Join me on Wednesday mornings from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock when we talk about more than medicine. It's now about staying healthy, but it's about the strategy to do so. Join me on Medicine on Call. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Susan Blank, and I have with me David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. We're talking about heroin and fentanyl, the epidemic that is killing our young people, killing people all around the country, 
And it is of great concern. It's of such great concern that the National Prescription Drug Summit this year added heroin uh, to the name. So it's a it's a serious and growing problem. It's not one we've gotten any kind of handle on, unfortunately. All of that being said, though, I think there are a number of things that people can still do, individuals can do, to be... Um, um, part of the solution and to begin to understand that uh, many people who are struggling have the disease of addiction, that um, treatment needs to be readily available, and certainly this, I think, is one of the things that we need to, to really drive home is that there are treatment options. There is medica- medication-assisted recovery that can really help folks, particularly with opiate dependence, which is one of the more difficult addictions to treat because the withdrawal is so bad and the cravings are so powerful that people have a hard time staying sober without some medication to assist them with this. So just first understanding that there is hope and that treatment can really be very helpful for people. Well, and and I think that part of um, part of that and and part of what um, we deal with all the time is is breaking the silence around just talking about having addiction and in particular having heroin addiction. Um, um, because it's something that generally the first person that calls our our office would be the mother of somebody or the spouse of somebody, and and when they call for them to say, um, I'm looking for a place to get some help for my son. He's been using heroin. Th- them that that phrase he's been using heroin is is so difficult for them to actually say. Um, um, our 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 people that answer the phone and, and work with them initially have really gotten comfortable in helping them to walk through that because if they don't break the silence then then the mm-hmm. addiction thrives and and recognizing that it's it's so um, spread out throughout the community that they've got to start talking about it in, in their homes and their churches and their groups um, just within within our own um, patient group there'll be a real difficulty talking about it even amongst patients own brothers and sisters that this has become a secret that we're going to deal with here over at the center but we're not going to tell 14 year old um, little brother or little sister even though they are at the same age that the current patient was first exposed Um, so helping them break the silence even within their own home is a major um, ordeal and that's why organizations like Shatterproof, that was um, formed by uh, Gary Mandel. Um, he's the CEO, and he formed this organization after the overdose death of his son. And part of his mission is to break that stigma, to have families talk about this, to have parents and spouses and loved ones understand this disease, to break the silence, and to help support others as they're going through this. And they, um, one, of the, one of the activities that Shatterproof does, and they do this at the American Society of Addiction Medicine every year, is they have individuals who want to do this and earn money or raise money uh, to help fund education and promote um, safety 
um, and decreasing prescription drug prescribing. They'll have them rappel down the side of whatever hotel our building is, and they, uh, again, get sponsors. But it, it creates this... Um, this idea that we really have to talk about it, that we have to talk about it, and that raising awareness, as, as you said, I think is the first thing, because it is common. One out of every four people taking opioids is probably has a, has a problem with, with opiate dependence. So it is a problem. We've got to talk about it, and heroin is going to kill a lot more people if we don't find a voice to talk about this and find some ways to help. Um, there are a number of initiatives, and I think that these have come a long way. We talked a, a little bit earlier about safe prescribing. We talked about uh, education of doctors to help them learn about the risks and use guidelines like the CDC guidelines to help them understand a little bit better what options there are and ways in which they can be more responsible prescribers. We talked about safe storage and disposal. Again, please don't put your old used drugs uh, down the <laughs> down the drain. We want to protect our waterways and we want to protect our lakes and streams, but we do want to be able to provide a safe disposal through uh, drop boxes that are at law enforcement agencies. Some pharmacies around the country are going to be able to have these drop boxes. That will be a good thing. And if you can't find one of those, then certainly used kitty litter or old coffee grounds is a great way to dispose of medications that you no longer need or that have expired. So those simple things, if you're taking those meds, store them away under lock and key count them. Make sure you're aware of how many you have, how many you have taken, and how many are left in the bottle so that if there is a discrepancy, you can take some action and be aware that this is a very common way people get these but medications. Part of part of what you mentioned earlier is that whether you have addiction or not, if you have to be on opiates for an extended period of time, you're going to develop a, a dependency physical dependency on that, meaning that when you stop taking them, you're going to go through withdrawal, which with with opiates means you're going to go through some pain. Um, um, so I think part of it also is just getting really comfortable with talking to your doctors about your symptoms and what you're experiencing. And if you are beginning to notice um, um, that you're on a medication that has these things and you're noticing what we would talk to as rebound pain or pain intensifying even though you're on these medications, that you're getting into a really dangerous place. And, and you need to go ahead and speak up and say, hey, I think that this is um, becoming a dependency issue and I need you to help wean me off of this before it becomes a problem. There are some other things that you can ask your doctor about, too, and, and that's um, good advice that you just gave. One would be, is the doctor using the PDMP or the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program? This allows doctors to have access to their patient's information regarding controlled substances that are being written for that patient. 
Each state has one. Some of them are more limited than others, but for the doctors to be using this in a way to help make sure that their patients are taking only the medications they're supposed to be taking and only from the one doctor that's supposed to be prescribing uh, is another way to help reduce. And so ask your doctor, do you use the PDMP? Remind them of their obligation. There are about seven states that actually require a doctor to look at the PDMP before every patient. Many states have opted not to do that because it is a cumbersome process, but the doctors should be aware of it and they should be using this tool. It's a very helpful tool. The other thing that I think um, you can ask your doctor about, and that's um, using uh, the opiate reversal agent called Narcan. This is um, a medication. It is available by prescription. There are different ways in which it can be administered. Uh, We know certainly most commonly it's by injection, and it gives a dose of this medication, Narcan, which will reverse an opiate overdose. And this is something that we certainly offer to all of our patients and to their family members, but anybody who has opioids in the house for any reason, and certainly anyone who has a loved one who has the disease of addiction and has been known to use opioids would be wise to consider getting a prescription for this medication. So in case uh, of a adverse outcome, they could use this to reverse and overcome the I was I was surprised actually when we first started doing this script at our office how many people had the reaction of you're condoning you're making it safer for somebody to have a relapse and you're condoning um, a relapse and in reality we're not we are making it um, a, as a precaution if somebody were to have a relapse that they don't have to necessarily die from that but the other part that I thought was real important is that as you said if there are small small children in the house that may accidentally ingest some of this medication um, ingest an opiate or a pain medication that this is medicine that will also take them out of um, a risk of overdosing and and it's safe for children um, infants right and it's safe for pets I have had one patient who is a pain patient who is struggling to open those childproof bottles and couldn't get it open and was working 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 it popped open A pill flipped out, her tiny little dog ran over and ate it, and before they could get it to the vet, the dog died. So it is something that you can ask your doctor about for a prescription for Narcan, the medication that reverses opiate overdoses. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.